So when I think of men, I think of large data sets. Okay, that's the way I look at it. They're all collecting large data sets. <laughs> and that, they really, like their testosterone just must go up when, proportionally. With when the, they, the size of their data set? The, the size of their data sets. That's the way I look at when at the meetings. Hi, and welcome back to The Fog at Bay. I'm your host, Ben Mansky. Last time, we talked to two female grad students, Hannah and Tess. In this episode, we'll listen in to a conversation between two female faculty members, Kira and Holly. My name is Holly Ingram. I am a, a professor and vice chairperson in the Department of Cellular and Molecular Pharmacology, and I've been at UCSF for 25 years. I'm Kira Postkanzer. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biophysics. I'm in the Neuroscience Graduate Program, and I've been here for about a year and a half. We wanted to talk to these two women because they're both members of a group of female faculty that meet regularly to discuss some of the challenges that they face. Here, they discuss finding and being a mentor. They touch on the things that male scientists don't often have to think about. And then they talk about some factors that contribute to persistent inequality in the field. Our two conversations, one with female students and one with female faculty, help to highlight the differences and similarities in experience as women progress through academic careers. Here's Holly and Kira on what it's like to be the only woman in the room and in the field. If you go to a meeting, say you go to a scientific meeting, you're always watching the boys, as I call them, the boys. <laughs> and they're they're all talking together. They give their talks, and they, they're all sitting there chatting, and you're the only woman. You can go and try to break into that, and it doesn't feel that comfortable. You never really feel that comfortable. And it's you always are aware that it's a boys' club. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're going to meetings and you're hearing the science and you're thinking, oh, that's a boys club, you know, what I've tended to want to do throughout my career is say, okay, I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to do something a little different. So at some level, you're not only the only woman, but you're also looking at science a little bit differently than men. Do you think that setting yourself apart I wonder, maybe I should have, you know, maybe everything would, I'd have more money, I'd have more awards, I'd be, you know, everything would be easier if I would just have adapted to this. Or just became chummy with them. And I I am chummy, but at some level, there's still a separation that I I feel at, at my stage with some of the the more senior people in in a field. Yeah. And I am the only senior woman in my field. Really? Yeah. There are many occasions where I'm the only woman in the room. Mm. Search committees, meetings. I mean, I'm often reminded that I'm the, the woman, and then that makes, I think it can seed a lot of doubt that I wouldn't normally, arising from the constant 
occasions in which I'm the only woman and thinking, am I a token here? Um, well, you are. Right. <laughs> because, in fact, I think for the one of the things that we learned at our recent meeting, we had the Office of the President put in a grant to the NSF, and they they received it 10 years ago. And one of the things that they implemented for the whole UC system is that every committee needs a woman. And as one of our colleagues said, sometimes if you're the only woman, it's, first of all, it feels weird. And you actually often need another woman to get your point across. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because there's always at least four men in the room to the one woman. Right. It's hard to get one's point across always. And not that women always agree on everything, but um, I mean, this is another thing that I was going to say about, and I think I've heard this anecdotally um, from many, many women, is having an idea, saying it in a meeting, having it be quickly brushed aside, and then having a man say it three minutes later and get a lot of credit for it. So now when you're the only woman in the room and that happens, Mm -hmm. there's sort of no recourse, right? But when there's more than one woman... Yeah. Um, having this amplification, I think it is, of, of what women are saying um, and making sure that every that other people in the room are hearing those voices is really important. That you're absolutely right about if you present something or ask a question and then it gets rephrased by a man, yeah. then they all of a sudden take the credit. And um, get the credit. And they get the credit. And actually, I feel, in a way, I'm... I'm guilty because I don't interject and say, you know, actually, as I was saying, but I, I have never learned how to do that. And I think younger women should do that and learn from this. And my response is not, is, although I think I'm getting a little better at doing that, but my response is, is usually to think, oh, I didn't phrase that well enough. Yeah. So I need to then I spend more time going over my question before I say my question to make sure it's phrased the perfect way. Then that keeps me from actually paying attention to what's happening and to think about questions that I want to ask instead of dealing with my question with myself in my head and how to make sure that it gets across in the best possible way so someone would hear it. It's interesting because in this women's group, we've we've had different people from the administration come, and we've had dialogue. And I don't actually think that happens. I think people, uh, when you're when you just have women in the room, I don't see that people are taking credit for other people's ideas. No, at all. I only see I see I see people disagreeing with each other and people agreeing and bolstering each other. But it's just it feels like an honest exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. I agree. I hadn't thought about it that way, um, but now that I think about those meetings, I don't. I don't feel the same kind of stuff happening. Did you have mentors who were women in your career in in graduate postdoc? Maybe um, early faculty. No, no women. None. As a technician, before I started grad school, I worked for a, a married couple, and okay. they had neighboring labs, and I was half-time in both labs. But that was the only woman I've ever, who's ever been a mentor for me, so pre-grad school. I mean, I can give you some history. So I walked in, and most of the senior women who were very successful were all women without children. It was really clear. You were going to be making a decision about whether you're going to have kids or whether you're going to 
be at the, the top here and have no kids. And I think that was probably, when I came in, that was the feeling. None of these successful senior women had kids. And I think things have changed a lot. And I do remember early on that uh, some of the, the senior men, when they would have these events, like have outreach for graduate programs, they would always be on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Or if they would have meetings, they would always be after six during the weekday. And it was clear that that's not a very family-friendly procedure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I think it's gotten much, much better mm-hmm. that way. And as more women have that are on the faculty that have children, people do understand. I also suspect that men who have younger children now are more involved, perhaps, than I think generations. So yeah. So that's family friendly for everyone. So I think that speaks to this, even though the graduate student divide is 50-50, and it probably was two decades ago, if there's no change between who, who is mentoring you and who are, who's mentoring me, I think that that... Whereas men, really, men have mentors. Uh, many of our colleagues, our men colleagues, have mentors because there's just more men around. So <laughs> the chances that you're going to find a mentor are far greater. And um, that mentoring aspect is is so important for so many things, mm-hmm. for so much of your career. And I think it's probably good as a graduate student, oh, a woman graduate student can find mentors. It's just much harder when you get up to the faculty level yeah. to find mentors. And and maybe but, if I had had a mentor that would have said, okay, well, you don't need to change your entire personality, but maybe do this or yeah. maybe do that. And and I think that is what's a little what's needed. There are just some people that are gifted and they know exactly how to navigate through all of this. And how to sell themselves. I think so much of it, I mean, is this or, I mean, this came up at our last meeting too. The ways, why for some, um, grants or fellowships that we can, we have sort of a good handle on the numbers who've applied and who've gotten it, why it seems sometimes a disproportionate number of men get get these things, whether it's people on the on the committees choosing them or looking for a certain thing and combined with tendencies perhaps for women to be very clear about what can and can't be done and what will and will not be shown by the data and, and very mm-hmm. sort of true to the very conservative in terms of uh, selling and, and hypotheses versus the kind of I'm doing, I will change the world with this research, being able to say that kind of thing. Um, and if to play the game, if you have to then adopt some of those techniques to do well, or if that's, or if there's another way, I don't know. Since that meeting, I've put a few put a few more words in my in my <laughs> proposals than I have not used before, like bold, bold, yes. yeah, <laughs> without feeling like I'm not being myself, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> if it doesn't come natural to you, it it doesn't mean that it can't happen, but you have to be taught how to how to do this and, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's not you either it's just that you yeah. haven't I mean you sort of are an amalgamation of all the things you've experienced and been taught and if you've been shut out of a certain or just not experienced a certain kind of talking about science presenting science then you can't even judge if that's sort of something that would fit well with you too mm-hmm. 
you know, I've noticed throughout the years that there's some women that come in and they are reluctant to speak up at group meetings. And so I feel, as especially as a senior woman, my job is to take them aside and say, you really need to start forcing yourself to do that. So you do do that? Oh, I do. That's yeah. great. I do. And I also tell younger women at meetings, at scientific meetings, I go up to them, um, especially like if, you know, it's clear they're, they're really good, they're ambitious. And I go up and tell them, I said, force yourself to ask one question. Just do it. <laughs> Because if you go to scientific meetings, especially in the field that I'm in, um, it's completely dominated by men. Do you see junior women coming up? Is it changing I do, your and I'm like this editor of a certain section for annual reviews of physiology. And so what I do is I get them to uh, contribute a review. I always think about a woman first. And I feel that makes can make a difference for them. Mm-hmm. And I worry, but back to this question, I mean, why people aren't mm. coming out of graduate school to postdoc to faculty, why the drop-off is so significant. I do think it's probably that a lot of women don't feel bold enough that they can do this. They don't feel that they can make it, and they they're then they're conflicted because it it's, does coincide with some other life decisions. But I do think this is a big problem. It's I, mean, a big I think problem. it's the age. I you know I recently was at a conference um, and befriended a woman there who's I bet she's similar age to me, but she's much further along in her career. And I was telling her this is the longest I'd left my kids at home, and she asked how old they were and then she was starting to talk about her kid and it turned out that her kid is in college and she had her kid in undergrad oh she did i think oh wow and she was able i mean i think she had it and was a single mom too and had i think a a rough time but pushed through and then when it was sort of came time after her postdoc she her kid was much older than than many of us were when, when we had kids and I think she was able to sort of zoom through early stages of faculty career, and she did fantastic sort of starting out because her kid was already pretty independent at that time, and I felt these pangs of, I should have done it all 20 years earlier. <laughs> I should have been a teen mom. A teen mom. would have been great for my career right now. That's not really what I wanted to do, but um, it was so unusual because That's I unusual. think we... I run into women similar age to me at conferences all the time who, and we talk about these issues when we had our kids, like how to deal with a postdoc and looking for jobs and also wanting to have kids and when to time it relative to the postdoc faculty. And here was somebody who sort of created a different set of issues, but these, that sort of timing thing was not in her, um, wasn't present for her at all, which just felt like a relief. It felt like, I don't know, somewhat jealous. None of our male colleagues feel this way. I don't, I mean, you know, I don't talk about it with them. No, I don't think they, although I've talked to them about the ones with small kids yeah. wanting to say, change the time for seminars. Oh. They, they have to go pick up kids and things like that. Not wanting to have late seminars or, you know, right. afternoon things. So I feel, I hear those issues come up. But not so much the timing of kids. Right. And, and how they navigated that with their career.
another very big distinguishing factor between men and women is that if you look at the number of companies started by women faculty, I, I would love the data, but my guess is we should we should we should get that this. data. We should write this down. <laughs> we should get this that needs data. to be part of our thing. But if you look at the number of companies that men have started, it's it's enormous. Yeah. Because my guess is that very, very few women have started a company. So why is that? Does it go back to the way I feel when I'm at this meeting and I see all these guys sitting around and I'm going, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. Do we just need to be coached on how to start a company? Have you thought about starting a company at any time during uh, yes. your career? You have? Well, uh, maybe, but then I thought, man, I don't know anything about this. Uh-huh. This is like this is like one more thing I don't need on my plate. <laughs> yeah. And so because why, you're on all these committees, because I'm, you're there, there's only there yeah, has to be women on all, on all the committees. <laughs> you know, and I have a, a kid, and you know, I think about you know, I'm thinking about the family and I have elderly parents that I think about. And so I like, I have all of these demands and like, okay, now a company on top of that. I don't know how that would work. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was thinking we really need to be coached on how to do that. Maybe some of us have brilliant ideas for a company, but all these men and especially in my department, they all start companies, (laughs) all of them. Why don't we start a company? (laughs) Start a company. So do you have, so you know in, in neuroscience there's this bias watch neuro website where they take every, anyone who wants to can write in a conference, all the conferences, and how many speakers um, were men and how many were women, what percentage, and then they list them, they group them by if there are one or two um, standard deviations oh, yeah, above the mean based on that oh, um, subfields. They do some, like NIH mm-hmm sort of reporter searching about the breakdown of men and women in that subfield and then say if it's above or below the standard deviation, standard and two standard deviations. So I recently wrote in because I felt, I mean, I just think every conference I go to, we just have more data. So this is something that keeps coming up in our group meeting too. We just need more data. And sometimes you'd think it was really accessible and easy to get the numbers for these things. And it's really not all the time. No, it's really... Like the data collection seems (laughs) to be the the most important part. And anyway, so this kind of um, website where they're collecting this data is, I feel like every time I go to a conference now, I I send all the stats in and make sure it's part of that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, data is important because it it really will help guide us into strategies that we can implement for changing things. But without those data, especially if you walk into a room full of men, they can say, well, you know, you're just whining. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> you're... <laughs> and, but when you have the cold, hard facts, it's really hard for them to say that. Right. And it's also, then you can choose with your male or female grad students, postdocs, you can look at the conferences if you had this kind of data and say, we're not, no, we're not supporting this. They've had this pattern for the last couple of years. We're not going to support that kind of conference. We're going to go here and mm-hmm. send good data here, people here. Mm-hmm. Whether that has a huge influence or not, I don't know.
I did my postdoc in a neuroscience lab, and I think the the most salient thing that would happen repeatedly um, was not with the people I worked with, but with um, technicians working with us to fix lasers. Um, they would never look at me or talk to me, even if I was standing there asking questions and asking educated questions about how to fix the laser, they would always answer the man standing next to me. And it drove me crazy. I made a conscious choice when I was choosing a laser, lasers to buy here that I would not use the company that with their representatives would do that constantly to me. And I felt like that was a small sort of active protest against that kind of thing. But it wasn't just that laser company. It was sort of a constant thing with, with um, technicians coming into the lab and just feeling like I was not worthy of being spoken to about anything technical. There would oftentimes be where I would call uh, an administrator to talk about some issue in our my lab. And I think the thing that always strikes me is that when you call and you're a woman, they never assume that you're the PI or that you're a professor. Mm -hmm. It's always, you know, and who are you calling for? Yep. <laughs> like you're, you're an assistant for this, for a professor. So that, I think, continues. Yeah. I mean, if you, for, if you preface it by saying this is Dr. So-and-so, then they, they have to pause and think about that for a moment. But if you don't do that, you'll get the other reaction. Mm. You know, I feel like we're fighting for this 50-50 thing, but it's not just 50-50, right? It's Even if it's 50-50, there yeah. are all kinds of these special things, things that we don't have access to intellectually. or And so. we don't have any mentors. And don't have any mentors. We don't have any mentors who are going to say, you know, have you thought about starting a company with that thing that you're working on? Yeah. Because you're not part of that. It, it's just the way I feel at meetings. You're not part of those guys sitting around, yeah. joking, having, you know, talking, but really doing business. That's, um, we just, we have to start with figuring out how to get some hardcore strategies on how to change this for the next generation. I think it's really important. A big thank you to Kira and Holly for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with us about their experiences as female scientists. This episode was written and produced by Anna Lipkin, Leiko Dama, Dimitri Rumis, and me, Ben Mansky. The music used in this episode is by Poddington Barrington. In our next episode, we'll talk with two grad students about their experiences as minorities that are underrepresented in their respective fields. Contact us by emailing us at thefogatbay at gmail.com or find us on Facebook to share your experiences of what it means to be in the minority. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more.